Okay, so we are going to be in Parak Hay, uh, letter Zion. It's on page 30. Page 30. Parak Hay, Pasuk Zion. And Yashukov for remembering to come two weeks after last time. So that's good. Good to see you. Good. We're Bain Hazman in here. We got to blow Bain Hazman in here. Um, two or three weeks. I know it's the end of January that we start. I don't have the exact date, but I think it's the end of. I think it's the last Thursday of January, the last week of January, right? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Will be for us the twenty seventh. Okay. Thanks. Thanks, Linda. The week of the twenty seventh. Okay. Right. We will. We will start on the thirty first of January, the next semester. Marlene, do you need a, a hand up? We're all sitting up here now, now that we experienced that night last time, okay? So we don't get too spread out. <laughs> you're good, you're good, it's good. I know you do. Should we start this over? No, that's cute. <laughs> okay, so again, page 30. Continuing in Hilchos Deus, Talmud Chacham lo yehet soek vitzoveach b'shas diburo ki behemos v'chayos. A Talmud Chacham, meaning a learned person, should not be screaming and cackling and howling when they speak like animals and wild animals. In other words, some people really, like when they talk, they just have no concept as to how loud they're talking. So the Rambam says, no, that's it. Don't talk like a behemoth or a chaya. Don't lift, don't raise your voice too high. But rather speak in a gentle, pleasant way to all people. And I think Diburo Benachas is really a very sweet way of saying it. I'm going to tell a story about that in a minute. Now again, as always with the Rambam here, addressing the other side. When a person is speaking Benachas gently, pleasantly to people, Yizohir, Shelo Yisrachek, Ad Kidivre He should be careful not to make himself aloof. The word Yisrachek is to distance oneself to the point where it appears arrogant. So in other words, a person is speaking nicely and talking to people and like that. So what's he saying, you know? And it's not only that he's speaking very quietly, but it, it appears aloof, like you're detached. So it's so gentle and so soft that it gets, you get the feeling like that person feels like he's apart from us, better than us. Aloof is a good English word. So right in the middle there, as always, pleasant, nice way of speaking. And one should be maktim shalom, that means to initiate. You say shalom first when you see somebody else. So that people will find you a pleasant person. Literally, that their ruach, their spirit, will enjoy your presence, will feel good around you. And that's, of course, what we're all trying to be, is that our presence makes somebody else feel good. You know, we have the ability to make other people feel good, even by showing a smile, by showing a friendly face, by the way we address somebody. It could make all the difference in the world. Okay, so I want to tell two stories. One is about Ravarye Levin, Zechut Tzadik Livracha. And perhaps you read the book, Tzadik in Our Time, about him. Beautiful book, amazing person. Uh, just, um, you know, beyond description, his humility, his kindness, and his understated nature. So, one time there were a group of, uh, I, I assume they were teenagers, it said young people, who are, were in one of the streetways of Yerushalayim. And it was Shabbos, and uh, they were not interested in Shabbos, so they were smoking. But they noticed uh, Ravari Levin was nearby, and he was kind of walking toward them. So they kind of put their cigarettes down to their side. 
and you know, kind of looking at what's about to happen. They were not sure if they were, they were going to be spoken to or they were going to be given words of Musser. So he comes over and he says, Good Shabbos, good Shabbos. Maybe he said Shabbat Shalom, I don't know. Good Shabbos, nice to see you. And all of a sudden, you know, they're relaxing and the cigarettes are being tossed on the side there. And we have a, you know, a relationship like that with people, then there's nothing to resist, there's only to embrace. So that's in a story of him. Now, uh, another story, um, I don't know who the rabbi was in this story, it's a contemporary story. I read it in one of the uh, periodicals. Oh, thank you. So, Sora, please tell me your mother's name. Miriam Bas, Velvo, Neshama Shav and Aliyah, Mechayel Achoyel, and we are learning Le'ilu Nishmasa. So, there was a young man and he came into his shul and the rabbi came over to him and said, Shalom Aleichem, how are you? And he said, you know, thank you, I appreciate it very much, thank you for coming over to me. And about a year later, that same young man walks into the same shul and he comes over to the rabbi and he says, I don't know if you remember me, I was here about a year ago, but you saved my life. So the rabbi said to him, what do you mean I saved your life? He said, well, I want to tell you how you saved my life. I had reached the conclusion in the midst of some very difficult and low, low times in my life that I was going to take my life. And I decided before I did that, I was just going to go to shul one more time. <coughs> and I came in, and you came over to me and said, Shalom Aleichem, how are you? How, you? how was your day? And when I came home, I therefore rethought what I was going to do, and I decided I wasn't going to do that. So thank you for saving my life. Now obviously every time we say Shalom Aleichem to somebody, we don't know if they're saving their life or not. But you certainly can give a person a lift by the way we greet them, and even just greeting them. So that's the lesson that the Rambam used from Pirkayavos, Makdim Shalom Lecholadim. Like, initiate. It doesn't have to be them who say good morning first, it should be you to say good morning first. How are you? Have a good day. And it makes no difference, Jew or Gentile, when, we're, when we are outside, say good morning to people, how are you? Have a great day. When I walk on my, you know, street to show up and down Park Heights Avenue, I pass a lot of non-Jewish people. I really endeavor to say hi, have a good morning, have a good day. People love it. They love it. I go, thank you, or thank you, Rabbi, you know, have a great day, have a good one, you know. They love it. It can make a real, you know, impression on people just by, hi, how are you, have a great day. Anakita Shashan. Thank you, Mr. Sherman. Absolutely. The Danis Kolo Adam Lakaf Zuchus and judge all people favorably. Mesaper Besheva Chavero Velobiganuso Klaw. One should talk about the praises of their fellow human being and not about their um, bad qualities. Not what's the Ganus to thank you, shortcoming, not to degrade them in any way. And that also requires a certain uh, inner frame of mind that we speak about people in a nice way, in a praiseworthy way. My Rebbe Zatzar Rabbi used to say that when it comes to Avas Yisroh, and we say, love your friend as yourself. So the word ve'ohavta is also found in another place in the Torah, where it says, you shall love Hashem your God. So the Pachamim had different interpretations, the explanations rather of what that means. So one says the Ahata is Shem Shamaim Al that the name of heaven should be beloved as a result of you. That's what it means to love God. That if you do things that causes Shem Shamaim to be beloved, that's the Ahavta. So Rabbi Tversky applied that. The Ahavta Larecha Kamocha. Do things, do things that will cause your friend to be beloved to other people. Speak their praises. So the, the same word applies. He drew that parallel. The you have to, how do you love somebody else? 
by being misapar bishvachem, by saying nice things about them and making them look good. That was his language. Help somebody else look good. Put them in the spotlight in a nice way. Ohev shalom, v'rodev shalom. To love shalom and to pursue shalom, those are two different things because loving shalom is the state of mind that we like to be in and rodev shalom is that we see a situation where we can make a difference and we pursue shalom. That means that we're, act, we're actually trying to actively create shalom, not just making shalom where it happens to be, but we're pursuing it. If a person sees that his words are going to, are going to help and benefit people, Omer, then speak, speak your words if it will benefit others. But if not, show sake, be quiet. If your words are not going to help, then don't say anything. Now there's a little letter hey right next to that. You may find it on the bottom. And it says, Hagaos Maimonios. It's toward the bottom left. And a letter, letter hey, one of the great commentators on the Rambam. And he says, Bahabo al Yuvimto. That's the name of the parak in the Gomorrah. It says, Kishem Shachayav Adam Lomar Dovar Hanishma. Just as a person is obligated to say something which will be heard and be heeded, Kachayav Shalom Lomar Dovar Sheino Nishma. So too we are obligated not to say something which will not be heard and not be heeded. Don't say it. They're not going to pay attention to you. As it says, do not discipline a scoffer because all they're about is scoffing. So you'll discipline them. What will they do? They'll mock you. You've got to know who you're talking to. Okay, that's back up on the top. Now, now he's going to say some things which, you know, in terms of our emotional frame of mind, these things really resonate. Ketzad. So, for example, these are all chazals. Lo chavero bishas ka'aso. Don't try and calm a person down in the midst of their anger. And don't try to appease them in the midst of their anger. Meaning, the anger has to pass. They're not in that frame of mind that they can hear you. Steam's coming out of their ears, right? They're not, they're not going to say, yes, oh, thank you for helping me calm down. They can barely even see you because the chaos is there. So you have to wait for them to calm down. Now it's the time to appease them. But in the midst of their anger, just let it happen, step back, come back another time. Below yishalo al-nidro bisho'ashanodar. And don't bring a person to be released from his vow, from his vow or her vow, until they calm down and are more at rest. They made a vow in a certain frame of mind. They took a certain vow or an oath, whatever it was. They made it in a moment of emotion. So don't try and help them to release their vow until they calm down. Don't comfort a person upon the loss of a family member, Rahman al-Litzlan, when that person, meaning that dead person, is lying right in front of them. Now, what that means is they're not buried yet. That's called an onane. When a person loses somebody and they have not yet been buried, that period of time is an onane. Now, what's happening there for an onane? Because this person is very preoccupied until the burial is concluded. They're emotionally preoccupied. It's not the time to sit down and make a shiva visit when somebody is before burial. The chen kol ba'elu, and all similar things. Now what I think the Rambam means by that when he says all similar things is that we have to be in touch with somebody's emotions and not to try and say things that are simply not consistent with their current emotional way of being. Because number one, they're not going to hear you. Number two, it's insensitive. Right? Why are you calming me, me down? Right? I, you know, we've got things to take care of. I've got to call the funeral home. We have to make sure to call the Havokadisha. People need to, need to know when the Levi is. I, it's not the time for Nechama. Now you can say to somebody, you know, Hashem should give you strength, no, but the idea there is if you, if you happen to be there, it's time to help, like pitch in, if they want your help. 
and, and sure, speak nice words, but that's not the time to sit that person down and talk to them. Right? That, that comes later during Shiva. Or in a person's anger, not the time, they're not prepared. So it takes Chachma and it takes Bina and to know where a person is at and try and say words that help them in their current frame of, of emotion. If a person is in the midst of a degrading moment, then try not to see them. Look away. Look away. Because it will only embarrass them. So this is important to think about. Let's say you know somebody needs some help, whatever the situation is. And your presence there may either be helpful or it also perhaps could be shameful for them. They don't want you to see them in this way. So if it's this one, like the Ramam is talking about, step aside, step aside, come back and help later. That's again a question of judgment, sensitivity, balance. And bishas kal koloso, in a, in a degrading moment, a person does not feel like they want other people's eyes on them. So yalim enav, hide your eyes. And do not say untruths. Literally, don't change your words. Don't speak falsely. Don't add more than is needed to be said. Don't take away. Only words of shalom and of the like. So what's the general rule? That a person should speak words of wisdom or chesed or anything like that, meaning it benefits people. Words that help people lift their spirits, give them counsel, let them know that we're there. Interesting stories, interesting topics, things that are devori mo'ilim, things that help. This is referring to a situation in an open marketplace. People don't know each other. You should not speak to a woman in a public place, even if it's your wife or your sister or your daughter. Now this, of course, depends on context. And context makes a very big difference, right? If you're in a group of people who you know, and you're amongst friends, and you're talking to somebody's husband, or vice versa, and it's all appropriate, that's okay. But if it's outside and people don't know who you are and you're engaged in a conversation with somebody so nobody knows, like why is, why is that woman talking to that man? You know, who is that? And he says, even your wife, sister, or daughter. Now again, context. In most situations where we find ourselves in a community, husband and wife together, it's obvious that it's a husband and wife. It's obvious that that's who you are. But somebody might not know that that's your sister. I'll tell you a situation that happened many years ago when I was in Eretz Yisrael. Uh, there was a guy at a bus stop, a firm guy, and there was a woman sitting next to him who clearly was not, not an observant woman. And, you know, they were talking very openly, and at some point, I, I think he gave her a hug, if I remember, you know. So there was somebody there, I don't remember the whole circumstance, it's already 30 years ago, um, who was a little bothered by it. So, you know, I said, it's probably his mother. It's probably his mother. And kaha, uh, but so it was. it was. It was his mother. So on the one hand, you could say to that person, you know, why are you, you know, paying attention to what someone else is doing? Just mind your own business, right? But on the other hand, like something was, didn't seem quite right, so somebody said something. It was okay, it was fine, it was his mom. But that's what the Ravam's talking about. You've got to know the context of your situation. I was a public place. Nobody knew who was who. It just didn't quite look right. And it was a hug. It was also not just a conversation. It didn't quite look right. So people should always be down the kafsuchus, like the Raman said a few lines ago. Okay, that's our obligation. The other obligation is we try not to do things that bring chashad, suspicion, upon ourselves. Are there limits? Does it have to be balanced? Yes. We can't live a neurotic life Maybe what I'm doing doesn't look right and constantly be concerned about that. That's no way to live. At the same time, we have to be concerned about public appearance in a healthy and balanced way. 
So each side has their chiyuv. One side is to judge favorably, the other side is to try and present in a way which is appropriate. Okay, any questions or comments to this point? Debbie, please. Yeah. I don't know when it started, but my daughter said it started 9 11. That's why I'm Okay. Um, they always say, they're lovely, very helpful, and they're very respectful, and they always say, have a blessed day. Right. So I say to myself, is that like something? I, I, I say, you too, mm-hmm. obviously. Mm-hmm. But I'm saying, is, I love that expression. Is that a great expression? It's a expression. They, they use it all the time. I, is it? <laughs> You say you too. Have a good day as well. Yeah, but you can't say to a guy, "Have a blessed day." You could. You're you're referring you're referring to for us what a blessing means. So we believe in blessing. You could say to them, "Have a blessed day." You 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 have in mind what you have in mind, you know, and that's fine. We're we're hoping that they have a day which is blessed. That that's okay. Yeah. Okay. Mrs. Franny, were making a comment. Do you have a comment? You were saying something. No. No. Okay. I was just telling her. <laughs> oh, okay, we're saying. <laughs> yeah, Linda, please. I would just make a comment. Yeah. Just to be careful. Obviously, what you said about a degrading situation is yeah. so true. But so many people use that as an excuse not to help other people yeah. in trouble. And I just would put that out there. Good. I hear it all the time of people that, you know, you don't want to hold a door open for somebody who's struggling who may get offended. But at the same time, there are so many people that will not help. Yes. But point well taken, right? Well, Linda is saying that a, a lot of people won't get involved because they're af- afraid it might embarrass somebody. And it's true, like the Ramam has said, of course it's true, he said it, but that we have to be aware that a lot of times people really are needing our help and we shouldn't use that as some kind of an excuse, you know, not to step in and help somebody. But be aware, you know, if you, if you step in and you see that that's what's happening, that they would prefer that you not be there, then, you know, take a hint and step aside. But I think you know pretty quickly what's, ha- what's happening. Once you're there, does that feel right for them or does that not feel right for them? And then to respond appropriately. It's good mitos. Okay. Ches. Uh, Debbie, on your point, I'm not saying that you have to say to them, have a blessed day. I'm just saying that you could. You could. You could say the same to you. They know me. Yeah. Yeah. You can say you too. Okay, that's fine. It's fine. You don't have to say. It is very sweet. You don't have to say to them, have a blessed day. If you, say, if you think like you already have seen that person many times, yeah. and so you too is not quite enough, yeah. and you're not really comfortable with saying, have a blessed day, it's not really the way we talk, we, yeah. we say. And we say, Baruch Hashem, you might say that, if you don't know what that means. So Zion Gazan. But you just say, have a nice day. Yeah. Yeah. Have a good day. They're not looking for you to say the exact same thing. They're just looking for you know, a nice greeting. Yeah. Have a good day. Have a wonderful day. What's that? You shall be a blessing. Right. right. All right. All right. Yeah. Yes, Mrs. Steinberg, please. Yeah, yeah. It applies to all people. It applies at home, especially at home, to be considerate to each other in our own, in the own, our own four walls of our home. Absolutely. You wanted him to say that. Okay, I'm sure he meant that because he's talking about all people. <laughs> yeah, please. Yeah. I think to Debbie's question. Yeah. You know, what we say in Hebrew is Shlema, hmm? which means, you know, like, I think it's okay to express a lot of stuff. Sure, you could say have a complete like, recovery. Or feel authentic. Um, yeah. 
You could say that. May, may you have a complete recovery. You should be healthy. That, there's nothing wrong with that. No, but I said uh, the words that we say. You said Rafua Shalema? I wrote an email, but yes, oh, okay. we say Rafua Shalema, oh, okay. which means have a And then you translated it? Yeah. Okay, fine. So then I feel like I'm being authentic and Very good. Very sharing good. something. Good. Good. Now, along that topic, may Indian la Indian bo so Indian? So I get this question a lot. Are you allowed to daven for a non-Jewish person who's sick? So absolutely you can. You can pray. You can daven for a non-Jewish person. There's nothing wrong with that. And however, you have to be careful with one thing. We don't say amongst the other sick people of Israel because they're not the sick people of Israel. They're not Jewish. So that phrase you don't know, that's, that's specifically to Jewish people. But you can certainly daven for them and ask Hashem that they should have a refuish lamb, your neighbor, your friend, whoever it is that you know who's not Jewish, it's fine. You can say Tehillim for a non-Jewish person. There's nothing wrong with that. It's okay. Yeah, yeah, please. What if a Christian person says, I'll pray for you? Or... Um, I just say, okay. You know, when I say, okay, you know. I, I might say thank you if I feel it's appropriate. But I try to avoid that because, you know, they're not praying to, right, you know, so yeah, so. But I usually just say that. <laughs> Another thing I, I say sometimes if I have the presence of mind is, uh, that's very nice. For you. Yeah, that's very nice. <laughs> that's very nice of you. Something like along those lines. Yeah. Yeah, please. Greta. Um, we have um, here, um, something that kind of like your, um, yourself. Don't, um, don't um, be too involved, I guess, uh, when someone uh, is low and doesn't feel well. Yes. If, if it's embarrassing for them. I'm sorry? If it's embarrassing for them. It's hard to know. Uh, how do you judge what to do um, when my mom was with her? Um, I have, at the time, I had relatives um, in Philadelphia, and they wanted to come and help. But I saw the body. Right. Why, why not say that? Why not say, I'm so occupied with the arrangements that it wouldn't be a good time for me, we could talk later. I didn't say it. I didn't say it. Uh -huh. I think I was too overwhelmed. And yeah. I felt very uh, excluded. Yeah. Um, and then I tried to explain myself after the Levi, after the I, th I think you were, I want to tell you, Golda, just to help you feel better, you, what you did was fine. That there was something from the, an expectation on the other side, in this case, which was uh, over the line. Like one is, one is meant to have res respect and sensitivity toward the mourner, toward the one who is mourning. Right, so granted, it sounds like those people are a little bit outside of this you know, context, I don't quite understand, but what you did is fine. And especially coming over to them and saying, now, you know, now, now the burial's over, we, it, now Shiva begins, so I think we did as fine. It's, it's too bad that they didn't quite get it, and, you know, they, they don't quite get it. Look, I spoke to somebody the other day, he's not, not, a, not a religious person, they lost a family member, and they said, yeah, they're having a funeral on such and such a day, then they're going out for lunch. I'm so, okay, you know. So that's, there's no, 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 no concept at all, you know, of not cooking. That's like, for them, it was perfectly appropriate. 
That's just uh, they have some friends and family coming in for their parents' funeral, so they're gonna, after the funeral they're going to go have lunch together. So they, just don't, they don't get it. They don't live in this way that we live. So I think this sounds very similar. They, don't, they just didn't get it. But, but in terms of you, I think what you did was fine. Absolutely fine. Like, it's, it's so hard sometimes to find the right words when you're in the midst of that situation. And yeah, perhaps it would have been good to say, I'm in the midst of taking care of arrangements, we can talk later. But that's a heavy expectation for a person who's in the midst of planning a Levaya, you know, Rahman al-Islam for somebody. So maybe a situation will arise when things can smooth out a little bit, you know, I hope. Yeah. Sure. Yeah, please, Linda. Yeah. You know, like, but I just traveled, you know, for four hours to go see you, and, right. and I wanted to, you know, and yeah, you know. Yeah, I, I, I do understand, but we had to put ourselves sometimes, like you did, in that person's place. Like, yeah. you wanted to see them, but of course you understand that, unfortunately, it just didn't work out. So we have to, you know, be big people when we're in that situation and not try and impose ourselves upon somebody when when that when the time's not right. Marlene, yeah, please. I mean, your intention was to go up there and give, and it turned out that giving meant giving up the ability to be with her. Okay. Good way to see it. Uh -huh. That is providing with the other needs, which was your intent to begin with. Very good. That's a great way to say so it. It's right. the difference between giving uh -huh. what's needed, and yeah, sometimes it's hard to, to yeah. know what that is, versus mm -hmm. somebody being more self-centered and yeah. So the not giving is what they needed in this situation. Thank you. That's a great way to explain that. Yeah, please, Debbie. You know, we had a focus on Ibrahim one summer at WIS, and one of the speakers said, I told the story how she wanted to be the doctor called somebody. It was far away. She arranged a babysitter, and it was like a big to do to go. It took an hour and a half to get there. She said, when she got, and it was prearranged, when she got there, she saw the doctors outside, there was a tumult going on. She said, she stayed in the hallway, she could see, she just turned around, went back into her car, right. and went right back home. Right. And the family appreciated it. Yes. Because that was not the time. And it, sure. It's still the mitzvah, and she should still feel good about it. She yeah. said, she still felt good that she tried. Right. Instead of yeah. feeling, you know, bad that she didn't get to see the person. Yeah. Yeah, it's, we have to be careful by not imposing on other people's space when really it's not okay to be there. Thank you. I want to re retract something I said because I think it's not right. Regarding again when someone said, I will pray for you, an Jewish person. So I would not say thank you. It could be a little bit of being moda to that. Say okay, or, ha or that sounds very nice, or that would be very nice, or I appreciate that. That's okay. But I think that uh, saying thank you is crossing the line, just as I kind of rethought it in my mind. Uh, I wouldn't say that. Okay, Tess. Mabush Talmud Chacham, the clothing of a Talmud Chacham, Mabush Noeb Naki, should be nice and clean. Uh, did I skip one? I'm sorry, I did. Sorry, letter Ches. Lo Yelech Talmud Chacham, Bekoma Zakufa, Talmud Chacham should not walk in too upright of a posture because it looks arrogant. The Goron Natui, with his neck kind of tilted out like someone who's walking around like that. <laughs> so that is, looks arrogant. That doesn't mean you have to like slump over. But Koma Zakufa Goron is that arrogant posture when you're just 
just back looking around like a very haughty person. I don't even want to do it. Looking like an, a very haughty person. Kenyan Shane Amar, as it says, Vatelachnan de Tuyos Garon, Umeshakros Einaim. They were walking with their throats pointed out and their eyes being seductive. Velo Yahalech Okev Bitsad Godel, Benachas. Now, this is talking about men, all right? You should not walk heel to toe, kamohanashim, like women walk. Vigase haruach, or arrogant people who are not women. King and Shinamar, as it says, I don't know the exact translation of this pasuk. Haloch vitafuf teilachna ubaraglehem ta'akesna. I don't know the proper translation of that pasuk, and there's no notes on my page here as to where that's located in, in Navi. So, but it has to do with walking in an arrogant fashion. So now, women walk more carefully, or shall we say daintily, more so than men. So if a man, you know, walks, you know, like this, and he's walking in an effeminate way. If a woman walks that way, she's walking in the way she's supposed to walk. That's how women walk. It's a different gait that women have than men. So, he says, if you're a man, don't walk like that. For a woman, it's fine. Okay. Below your roots, Birishus Haravim, Kaminhag Mishugain. Don't run in the public marketplace like Mishugaim do, like you're Mishugaim, like you're some crazy person, right? So now you, now you look on the street, people sometimes like they, they're running all over the place, and it does look kind of crazy. People are in a hurry. So he says, just take your time. The only time you're allowed to run is if it's Litzorich Mitzvah, or for example, on Erev Shabbos, the Gemara says. If people are running Erev Shabbos, then that's okay because everybody knows they're getting ready for Shabbos and they got to make it to the store before it closes. Outside of that, it looks like you're a little, little, little mishuga. And that's there's a reason for it. Now the other side, don't walk too hunched over. Now literally it means like a hunchback, but it means to say that a person's trying to walk in a more humble fashion, they don't want to be uh, standing in a way which is arrogant. On the other hand, don't like bend yourself all the way over. Like a, like a slump. Ella, rather, mistakel lamata, look downward when you walk, kamoshahu omed bitufila, like when you're davening. So the general posture of a person who's davening is enav lamata, velibo lamala. So you're, da- you're davening, your eyes are supposed to be downward, and your heart is supposed to be upward. Enav lamata, libo lamala. So a little bit downward. Do you have to watch where you're going? Yes, after, absolutely. So your eyes shouldn't be so downward that you can't see the person in front of you who you're about to crash into. Right? That also wouldn't be okay. <laughs> and you walk in public like a person who's busy with what they have to be busy with. Like you have things to do. So you're walking with a purposeful way. That's the idea. There's something purposeful, meaningful. You can tell by the way by the way a person walks if they're a wise person or if they're a fool. Shlomo HaMelech says in his wisdom, even in the way a foolish person walks, libo chaser, his heart is absent. Va'amar lakol, and he's saying to everybody, sechalhu, he's a fool. So the way a person conducts their body language is an announcement to the other people who are around us. Who, modia lakol, he's letting everybody know, al atzmo, about himself, shahu sechal, that he's a fool. So the way we conduct ourselves, walk, talk, out in the public places, that makes a difference. We're trying to project a mensch, a person who's a good, respectable, honest, dignified human being. Menschlichkeit. That would be a good word to summarize it. And remember, there's always a balance. Don't get too hung up on these things. You can drive yourself crazy. And on the other side, don't neglect these things. We're looking for that sweet spot in the middle of menschlichkeit, a dignified human being. Mabush Talmud Chacham, Mabush Noah the clothing of Talmud Chacham, 
should be nice and clean. Should not have stains or grease on their clothing. Doesn't look nice. He's trying to make a Kiddush Hashem. He should not wear royal clothing like gold and purple, but everybody's going to look at him like royal purple, because that's already ostentatious. And he also should not wear clothing of people who are impoverished, who are dressed in rags, because that clothing brings disrespect on the person who's wearing it. Once again, benonim, right in the middle. Nice clothing, right in the middle. Not royal clothing, not pauper's clothing, but clothing that's in the middle. Uh, this applies to men and women, but most definitely women can dress much more nicely than men. That's part of who women are. So the Ramam is not saying a woman should feel like she's dressing plain. If you want to dress plain, you're entitled to, no problem. But if a woman dresses like they want to dress nicely, that's okay. It's fine. That's what most women like to do. So he's addressing a man not to be ostentatious in his clothing. And he's not really talking here right now, at least in this particular halacha, regarding women in sneeze. It doesn't come up here. He's talking more so about presentation in terms of uh, dignity what, as to how fancy or not fancy a person's clothing is. Now, there may be a time where it's appropriate. For example, Mordechai, right? Mordechai HaTzadik. When he is concluding the whole story of, the, of Purim, how he's dressed in royal clothing, and he comes out in royal clothing. Well, that's different because he was royalty. That's what you have to do. Or Yosef in Mitzrayim, and he was the second to the king. If you're in that position, that's a different story. There may be reasons that you have to do that. V'lo yehei b'saro nira mitachas madav. A person's flesh should not be seen through their clothing, meaning transparent. Like certain flax clothing, which is very light, see-through, which they make in Egypt. Now apparently this was men's clothing as well. So in addition to the tzniyas palm it would present for women, he's saying for a man it was, for a man it was not appropriate, see-through clothing. His clothing should not be draped and dragging along the ground. Like some big shot people wear in his time. is an arrogant big shot. Apparently they're like, like flowing clothing behind them, dragging on the ground. It looked arrogant. But just to his heel. So even that's a pretty long bekesha, right? If you're wearing a bekesha, now, I don't wear a bekesha to my heel, but I guess in those times that was the way it was to be, all the way down to your heels. And, ubeis yad shalo, and the sleeve, ad roshi etzbos up until your fingers, right here. Now again, that's not a sneeze question, this has to do with dignity. In our times, that's not the way in general. People don't wear their clothing all the way down to here. But I guess in those times, that was the appropriate way. The way we would wear it to our wrist, they would wear it to their fingers. Similarly, a man with his talus, it has, it's like a way of like letting it go downward. I can't really picture what he's talking about, but it's the talus is chaining down, cascading down, something like that. Because it also looks arrogant. Except on Shabbos, that was acceptable. I'm not sure what he's talking about. If you have some, if you don't have anything else, you should not wear shoes with patches on them, a patch on a patch. In the summer months, that had to do with a certain story in the Gemara, which we won't get into right now. But during the winter months, if you're poor you're allowed to do that because you have to have your shoes patched up so they don't get wet. Lo This is also referring to a man. A man should not go into the public place with a fragrance on him. 
and not with clothing which has fragrances on them. And he shouldn't put fragrance in his hair. Now, we'll see what this is about in a minute. But if a man spread a type of fragrant oil on his, on his skin, to remove perspiration, which in their time was common, they would put oils on their body, to remove perspiration, mutter, that's okay. You shouldn't go out alone at nighttime. Unless you had a fixed time to go out and learn. All of these things, starting from not having fragrant clothing and fragrant hair, that comes on account of suspicion. And this is what it means. When it says that a man should not have fragrance on his body or on his clothing or his hair because they were concerned that it looks like he is interested in homosexual encounters, that he's trying to attract another male. And that's what they did when they put the fragrance on their body. They were trying to attract another male. So therefore, that was not allowed. Going out at nighttime alone looks like you're trying to go out with a female. You're trying to meet a woman at night, so you're going out at night quietly on your own. So you said, if it's known that you have a fixed time to go learn, you're going out to show to the base midrash, that's okay. Now, can women wear fragrances? Absolutely, perfume is fine for women. And I must tell you that a lot of men nowadays work alone. And I don't think that it falls into this uh, uh, category, the Rambam, because it's just more of an excess. It's not, it's not a yotze min haklal situation that you would make that equation. He's trying to attract another male if a man's wearing cologne. That's, for a lot of men, just wear, they, they like it. And I think, in my opinion, that's okay in our times. But there are other things that certainly would fall into this category that one should not do because it puts oneself in a camp of creating kashad, creating suspicion upon oneself by the way they dress, the way they look, and you're attaching yourself to a certain uh, group of people, and that would not be okay. So in the Rambam's time, that would be the case with those things. And it could be the case in our time as well regarding men and fragrances. It depends on context and where you are and what you're trying to do. I'm just trying to say that men's cologne, in my opinion, would be okay in our time. It's much more acceptable. And certainly a woman wearing perfume is absolutely fine. has no, no connection to this. Now one more thing, going out alone at nighttime. So we live in a different age. We have electricity, right? there's street lights. People are out till midnight easily in our times um, often. Certainly till 10 or 11 o'clock at night. So if you need to run out to the store, you know, seven mile market, and they're open till 11 on Thursday night, go ahead, it's okay. Like everybody knows, that's not what I mean. We're talking about, again, these are different times, people are in different places. It's, there's no lights, you know, you're going out at nighttime. Why are you going out? Like, who's going out at nighttime? So you've got to be you're trying to meet somebody. Well, in our times, that doesn't apply. Uh, because we live in city life and we're out late at night and we're in cars and we're going to stores and businesses and it's just a different situation. But have the idea in mind, there may be a context where this would apply, where a person is walking somewhere they shouldn't be walking and it's going to uh, cast suspicion on themselves because of where they are or what time it is where they are, it doesn't look right, sure, then one should apply these things properly. Okay, any questions or comments? Yeah, please, Linda. I know you don't have time. I didn't seem interested in explaining it, but can you just give a hint about what the patch to... No, no, I have to... It had to do with an, a, a, a violent situation that occurred, which I don't remember the whole story, but something happened as a result of the issues. It was not really its neatest thing. A mice happened, which involved violence, so they had people not do that. I just can't remember what it was fully. I want to tell you a great story about the Rama because it has to do with clothing. It's just such an amazing story. So the Ramah was the Rav of Krakow in the 1500s. The great Rav Moshe Israelis in the Shulchan Aruch, you have the Mechaber who wrote the Shulchan Aruch, Rav Yosef Karo. And then for the Ashkenazic uh, communities, where they differ with the Sephardic communities, the Ramah made notes on the Shulchan Aruch. So the Shulchan Aruch is a combination of Rav Yosef Karo and the Ramah, our Shulchan Aruch. So the Ramah um, had a friend, and his friend was the brother of the Maharal of Prague. I think his name was Rav Chaim. And I'm not sure how, but it became known to the Ramah 
that Rav Chaim was being visited by Eliyahu Hanavi. So the Ramah said to Rav Chaim that he would like, to, could he please ask Eliyahu Hanavi if he could come, if he could attend this, these visits. So Rav Chaim went and he asked Eliyahu Hanavi next time he came to him if the Ramah can come. And he comes back to the Ramah, he said, Eliyahu Hanavi says that you can't come. So he said, why? He said, because you wear a rabbinic uniform. So he was the Rav Ha'ir, he was the Rav of Krakow, and the Rav had to wear a very special, dignified, nice uniform, identifying him as the Rav of that city. So the Ramah said, okay, please, Rav Chaim, say to Eliyahu Hanavi that I won't wear the uniform. I'll take it off. So Rav Chaim asked Eliyahu Hanavi, he comes back with an answer, and he said, Eliyahu Hanavi says, you're not allowed to, you're the Rav. You can't take off your uniform, you're the Rav. So there's a time and there's a time, even though there's a sacrifice in that, but Eliyahu Hanavi himself said, sorry, you can't take that uniform off because you're the Rav of the city, you can't see me, you know, what can I do? So there's a time and a place for everything, and the idea is that he had to not see Eliyahu Hanavi in order to continue with his rabbinic garb. That was the right thing, because to take off that garb would be a lessening of his public position. And that was not okay. Time and a place for everything. And so have a great day, have a great week. We'll see you, Bezras Hashem, in a couple of weeks. Now, we're going to be learning next uh, semester a different Rambam on Tchiyas HaMesim and Mashiach and things like that. Very fascinating thing. And we'll be introducing where clearly the Ramchal that we have learned before uh, has, has different opinions than the Rambam and all the Mukhabalim do, but they're very fascinating. But what I would like to do, maybe the next semester, I, I want to finish this. Because there's a lot more really great, fascinating um, relevant, very relevant in Yonan that the Rambam discusses here. So I hope to get back to Hilchos Deos. We got, it, we got about a little more than halfway through. Have a great couple of weeks, everybody. Um, if you want this, you can take it. Otherwise, please pass it back in. Good. I'll let you do it. I'm waiting for years. I'm excited. <laughs> Thank you so much, Jack. Sends greetings. Send regards back. I'll go to the little bit in the computer.